the Jericho Network on Westwood One. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn here on Westwood One. And we'll go straight over to Arizona because I'm in Montreal. And of course, Mr. Niven, you are in Arizona. So welcome. Well, thank you, Mitch. And I hope you're doing well today. And yes, we are a long way apart. And I'm sure people can hear that in what they're listening to. But uh, you're up there and I'm all the way down here. And I'm kind of like the fool on the hill or the fool on the mountain in the desert. And uh, I like being here. And I'm in I'm in the woods no, between. <laughs> in fact, so much so in the woods that last night on the back porch, the light kept turning on and off because we, we have you know, the motion sensors. And I'm going, why is this light keep turning on and off at midnight? So I went out and on the patio, there was a skunk. <laughs> it must have been the size of a whale. I mean, this was the biggest skunk I have ever seen. So, yes, that's 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 the, the environment I'm living in. So we're both in these... Wait, wait, I cannot believe you just told me that. Yes. Because not four days ago, uh, I have to keep uh, <clears throat> the door to my, um, my man area here where I keep my stereo and computer and stuff. I keep that open so that my black cat can come in and out. I have to have a black cat to maintain my mojo and juju. But the other night, I'm sitting on the sofa with my black cat, and this character comes in, walks round the room, and then out the door. It was a skunk, walked clean into the house, walked round the room, and then walked out. I'll tell you, I froze. I was not going to move, and thank God my cat knows what's going on because my cat froze even tighter, going, we're not going to mess with this guy. So I can't believe that. What's the deal with skunks? Well, just nothing. It's just, uh, it just it kept triggering the motion, sh- most motion sensor, and I was like, oh, well, I'm just going to close this door. I'm just going to go back to bed, and we're just going to pretend we didn't see that. And, uh, yeah, so the next, next morning I, I – took the dog out slowly and I was like okay because I don't put him out with a leash and I just throw him out in the backyard well now you're gonna have to get online and you're gonna have to look up the um, (laughs) curative properties of skunk removal yeah nobody got sprayed well no it's it's not that you're gonna have to look up what the indigenous of this nation um, think of the skunk, skunk as a symbol and I think it's got something to do about protecting your family and actually even revenge Oh, oh! So now, now so, it's mystical. Now, yeah, it, it, there's something mystical there. So look it up and see what what you find. Um, but who do we have today? Yes, I was going to say. Speaking of mystical and space agey, we have got the one and only Ace Fraley from Kiss, or should be from Kiss, or was from Kiss. But either way, he is the spaceman in Kiss for me, at least. And uh, we we sat down with Ace for half an hour. And listen, I know Kiss fans love the minutia. So, you know, sometimes if somebody coughs or, or if there's a dog barking, I will tighten up an interview, not, not edit out any of the content. But to this one, I'm just going to let it run. You're going to hear the everything from the hello, how's it going, Ace, to the goodbye, see you later. And I think folks will get a kick out of it. And we talk everything. Yeah. You're going to give this interviewer its own space and just see how spacey he is, right? Yeah, I'm just going to let it 
take up the space, and the, the space is for Ace. Perfect. See? And, of course, his new album is called Ace Fraley, Spaceman, and, you know, he, he is the Spaceman for, for legions and legions of fans. Now, I know that you are not a huge Kiss fan, or fan at all, which is obviously a character flaw, but... <laughs> But guitar-wise, how do you sort of look at Ace? I mean, yes, he's sloppy, and yes, but he did influence a lot of people. Kiss is a band influenced an awful lot of people, and I kind of raised my eyebrow at times because I don't think I ever recovered from my disappointment of listening to Dress to Kill. I looked at the cover of that and I went, oh, hello, somebody's picking up the torch from Alice Cooper. This should be interesting. And I didn't find quite what I expect from great rock and roll bands in it. Um, I don't mind someone being sloppy, but I think I can say enough when I suggest that people go and look at... Uh, um, what's the bass player's name again? Help me out here. Gene Simmons? Um, Oh, that's right, Gene Simmons. Um, go watch, you know, Gene Simmons' uh, reality show and look at the huge chapel he's built to his merchandising. Um, you know, which is okay, but in a band, I like to see a little bit of balance between intelligent spirituality as well as the material and the visceral. And I just got let down on a couple of those elements with Kiss. Do you think that part of it might have been the production of those albums because the, the the first three albums suffer from horrible i mean they sound like mud uh the what, song's what, great yeah what, didn't neil bogart who is the head of casablanca at the time didn't he have um a production credit well, the, the, the producers on, on those early albums were, were these guys, Richie Wise and Kenny Kerner. They had also been involved with Dust and, and, and you know, Marky Ramone eventually. But, right. but the songs, I think, were there. But how they got them on tape on Hotter Than Hell and on Dress to Kill was a bit... <sighs> yeah. You know, it needed to be better. Yeah, I'll, I'll 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 agree with that, and I mean, you know, history is an indicator, is it not? Was it not their uh, first live record that actually um, propelled them forward? That they thought that you know their career as a band might might even be over, but they got a phone call from Casablanca saying the live record's working. Yeah, am and I it, remembering that right? You're right. They got Kiss Alive, one of the greatest live records. Oh. <clears throat> Listen, all records have been touched up. And by the way, uh, Dress to Kill is Neil Bogart producing. Uh, I'm confounding my, my first, second, and third records, but Neil did do Dress to Kill. Uh, yeah, the, the live one is the one where everybody stood up and paid attention. If you if you remember last week, talking to Marty Friedman of that band that was popular in the 80s that did Symphony for Destruction, but we can't say the name. Uh, he said in the interview that Alive was one of the reasons he got into rock and got into music and picked up the guitar and was all excited about things. So, you know, you had to capture the 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 the, the fire and 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 balls of of and sweat of a live show to bring Kiss alive. There are some bands that that just don't work on albums, and live deliver 
you know, I think Metallica, personally, I think Metallica is one of those bands, too. You listen to the Black Album, you go, that's a great, nice, slick album. You hear them bring those songs live, and you go, ooh, that's a step up. No, it's an interesting point that you make, because when I was a nipper, a long, long time ago, I actually went through a phase where I thought that the most honest way to assess and connect to a band was to skip their studio records and go to their live records. Um, I, I thought that that was the more telling indication of who and what they really were. Um, and that's what made so, the MC5 interesting, by the way, because they, mm-hmm, yeah. they said, fuck it, we're not going to do a studio album, we're just going to go lie right from the bad, right from the right. get-go. Right. And, you know, in my own little world... Um, I would have to say that if uh, the Titanic were going down and I could only grab one great white record to take with me, I'd grab a record called Stage, which was live and to me represented the band at their absolute apex and was also a record that did not have any live fixes in it. What you hear was what, what was played. Can you imagine a great white live album in 2019 with Mitch Malloy? Oh, that would just be delightful. Um, I'm going to pass on that. I'm going to um, <laughs> remember what Mama said, if you can't say something nice. Um, so let's move on. Let's move on. But uh, since we're talking 1975, uh, I just want to add this into the rock talk. I have been, as people know, follow me on Twitter and on the show, going down the rabbit hole of Foreigner. And so I picked up this week two albums called Black Sheep, Black Sheep, and Black Sheep Encouraging Words, which are these two albums that Louis Grammatico, or Lou Graham, were, was on back in the early 70s, one of them being 75, same year as Dressed to Kill. And it is just this incredible revelation, first of all, that the voice was there, and the music was there. If you listen to Foreigner's first album, which I think was 77, this stuff on Black Sheep is is really Foreigner without Mick Jones. So it, it goes to show the, the, the contribution that Lou made. He's not just a voice. He, he was part of the creative process. And, you know, I, I had never really checked these, vid- these albums out before. I had seen a couple of things on YouTube and stuff, but uh, they were remastered and re-released by a company called York Music uh, out of Liechtenstein. Because wow. that's, that's where all good music comes from. Uh, but it's it's interesting. It's it's something doesn't, that if... Yeah. Doesn't doesn't Angus have a home there, Angus Young? Probably. It, it's, it's either Liechtenstein or Luxembourg, one of the two. Um, but he lives there and, and, and avoids taxes um, around the world. Um which is probably why the company was set up there. Their, their rule, I mean... I wonder I, if there's a connection. Yeah, and I'm wondering if these are official re-releases or if these are some kind of strange whatevers, but anyway. But there is a song on one of them called Piano Prelude, Let Me Stay. It's eight minutes and a half. And it really is, to me, sort of the precursor to November Rain. It's just this sort of haunting piano with a Lou Graham vocal, which is so fresh and young and... It's it's just the perfect song. It you just you put it in the headphones and you just hear this, you know, piano all by itself, 
and this voice, and it's just like, wow, that is a great song. So if folks are, are a Foreigner fan or, or they like that stuff from, this, from the early 70s, like Dress to Kill and Ace Fraley, you know, try to pick them up. They're, they're, they are hard to get, but I know the Amazons in Europe have it, and I got it from a place called DiscCogs.com, and it's good stuff. Good, good stuff. Well, excellent. Do me a favor and send me that track. I'd love to hear it. Yep, that I will do. And uh, well, let's make space. Let's let's get over to Ace. The new album is Spaceman, and you are getting it unvarnished, un whatever. It is as fresh and as Ace as Ace can be. And I think, and I really think that fans will appreciate this because it is a, it's 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 Ace. In the Ross form, Ace being Ace. So here he is, the one, the only, the spaceman for Kiss then and now, Ace Fraley. Hello, Mitch. Hey, Ace, how are you? Any Glad- relation to Mitch Miller? No, no. I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm only a <laughs> Mitch LaFon or Mitch Mitchell, right? No. I also have a good friend of mine who plays Paul McCartney, and his name's Mitch. Uh, well, one Mitch Miller. Mitch Weissman. Beatles band. Yeah, Mitch Weissman Mitch is Weissman. a Yeah, he's a friend of mine as well. In fact, uh, I was speaking to him last night about doing this interview with you. Ah, I love Mitch. He's a wonderful guy. Great guy, great talent. And did he play are you, on... Are you in New York, sir? No, I'm actually in Montreal. Okay, is Mitch still living in New York? No, Mitch is out in uh, Los Angeles. Mitch. Yeah. Mitch. Yeah. Is he still doing the Beatles thing? He is. Oh great! He's he's doing yeah, the Beatles thing. Wonderful. And... He's wonderful. He's wonderful as Paul McCartney. Yeah, he's terrific. And I actually saw the Beatlemania stuff way back in the day when he first started doing it. But great stuff. But um, me too. Let's me too. let's get on to uh, to your album because it is it is a great album. It is called The Spaceman. Um, talk to me about putting together. You know what I wanted to call the album? What? Forty years later, because it's been. This is the this year is the fortieth anniversary of my first solo album. That is true, and and if I can say, the best of the four solo albums. But yeah, well, that know. goes without saying. <laughs> it History. Does. Well, all right. So <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about that real quick because you are going to perform the album, the Ace Frehley album from nineteen seventy eight, in full at an upcoming convention in New Jersey. Uh, and then we'll get Boy, back to news travels fast. It does, it doesn't it? Well, it helps when you're in, when you're in Kiss World. I mean, I know Keith Larue, and I and I know Mitch Weissman, and I know Bruce, and I know all these people. But uh, yeah, talk to I me love just those guys, all great guys. Talk to me about. I have a great I have a great relationship with Bruce. Uh, yeah, well, Bruce is great. Bruce and Bob are are, are fantastic. Yeah, I, I had a pleasure of seeing Bob uh, at the Indianapolis Kiss Expo and. It was just great seeing Bob because I hadn't seen him in a long time. But Bruce, I bump into all the time. You know, he's playing with Grant Funk and, you know, our paths crossed several times in the last couple of years. Yeah, he's great. In fact, you and I share a lot of people in common other than Mitch Weissman and Bob Kulik, which I spoke to on the weekend, and Bruce. Uh, I'm also friends with Todd Howarth and, and John Regan. Uh, that you also yeah. did did that stuff with in uh, Indianapolis, all run by Keith Larue. So it's it's it, it is a small Look, small world. Keith, Keith is Keith is such a great organizer, yeah. and he actually organized the thing I'm doing on the 27th and 28th in Vegas. I'm performing. 
I'm not performing. I'm uh, doing a Q&A and assigning it to Kiss Mini Golf. And then he came up with at the last minute, why don't you ma- be the best man for some weddings? Because there's a chapel at the Rio. So I'm going to be uh, walking down the aisle with the bride. <laughs> Boy, Love. yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, we're jumping all over the place. So we can talk about I that, know, too. Because the- I've been answering the same questions over and over again. I guess I'm going off on a tangent. <laughs> well, excuse me. No, no, that's fine. I mean, the the uh, the kiss or the the ace walking down the wedding thing, I I think is is hilarious. Now, I've been married seventeen years, but man, I I would be willing to renew my vows to to, to get you to walk me down the aisle. But hey, what are you gonna do? I was doing an interview uh, three or four days ago, and I was talking to the interviewer, and I told him about it, and he said, "Wow, ace, I got married two weeks ago." I go, "You're a newlywed." He goes, let me talk to my wife. Maybe we can redo the ceremony in Vegas with you. <laughs> yeah, we'll get divorced and get remarried. Okay, so uh, let me ask you about about that and, and interviewing, because you do answer the same questions over and over again. How, how do you sort of keep it interesting for yourself to not just go into automatic mode and just keep saying, just, yeah, I, just, I try to uh, put a little twist on the answers, and I try to... Say silly stuff in between. What is one thing that you haven't been asked that you would like to talk about? I mean, do, do you do art like Paul Stanley? Uh, I mean, I know back in the day you used to do computer art. Is that something that still interests you? It interests me. I just don't have the time. Right. It's um, something that's probably going to happen when I get a little older and have more time. You know, when, you know, when I stop touring and, and, and recording as much as I've been doing in the last five years, I'm probably going to want to start producing younger bands, bring them into my home studio, you know, giving them the wealth of knowledge that I've learned from working with great engineers. And also, uh, I'd like to get back into doing some of my artwork because uh, I think there would be a demand for it. I, I think so. I mean, I, I just interviewed Paul, and he was telling me that he's made over $10 million selling art, and I'm pretty sure Ace Fraley Art would be in the same league. Um, but I think that number's inflated. Well, we uh, I don't know. Could be. Um, well, I, I remember him telling me the other year that he made $2 million that year. So I don't know. Whatever. We, we don't it's know. Now, money. You it's did mention... Money. You did mention, uh, you know, that you might retire the end of the road. Kiss is doing the end of the road. Um, where do you sort of see your career? Because you've got the new album now. You're going to go do some touring. Do you start thinking in the same way of, I need to start winding this down. I'm down to my last two or three years. Or is this just the next new album until the other next new album, if you know what I mean? Say that one more time. Well, I'm just thinking, since, we, since we're talking about the retirement of Kiss... Have you gotten to that point where it is time to ride into the sunset? Are you thinking about... I'm the youngest guy in the band, so I'm not in any rush to retire. I'm having more fun now than I had 10 years ago. So uh, I don't even think about that. You know, I mean, I don't know why Peter retired. But then again, he's 72 and he, he survived cancer and maybe he's done. Yeah, I think he's done. And, and, uh, and I... I still feel like a kid. 
so so you're you're not thinking of there's no five year plan for you in terms of calling it a day. This the the new Spaceman album is something that you're going to tour on extensively, I would imagine. Well, it all depends on what happens with the Kiss tour next year. Okay, so like if, if I'm going to be a part of that, you know, I'll have to put a a Spaceman tour on the backburn okay so let me ask you because we do know a lot of people in the same circles there has been talk of you joining the kiss tour not as a full member but as a guest guest appearance here and there how likely is that to happen does it does it really come down to dollars and cents does it come down to can i tolerate these guys does it come down to I have to do well, it for I the fans. Well, I definitely tolerate them because I've worked with them over the last couple of years. Right. On a couple of projects, you know, Paul sang Fire and Water on my Origins Volume One album. You know, I just came back from a tour of Australia with Gene, and me and Gene wrote two great songs for the Spaceman record. So. Uh, I'm not worried about being able to get along with them. I'm great friends with Eric Singer, you know, and, uh, but you know, if I'm going to do it, you know, I, I want to replace Tommy. I'm not going to be like a guest. Okay. So, so, so being a, being a, a one-time guest that shows up at Madison square garden or at the LA forum, that's of no interest. You would like to participate, but in a full membership kind of role. Yeah, I mean, you know, just, just, yeah, I don't want to, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it all the way or not at all. I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy who likes to do things halfway. You know, it's either going to be me back in the band and Tommy out, or I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. But, you know, six months ago when Paul Stanley was asked, is Ace going to be involved in the future touring? He said, absolutely not. And then a week ago when he was interviewed, he said, I wouldn't rule it out. So that's a big change. Yeah, and that's that's something that he said to me in my interview with him last week. He said, those decisions haven't been made and, and we'd like to see. Um, but just real quick, you did write two songs, uh, Your Wish Is My Command and Without You, I'm Nothing for the new Spaceman album with Gene Simmons. Uh, what right. was it like getting back with Gene and writing with him? I'm assuming that it's been a long time, probably a decade or more since you've worked with him in terms of our songwriting thing. Um, what was that like? And, and well, what... That's incorrect. Okay. You, I wasn't aware of this, but people in the know tell me that I never wrote a song with Gene. Well, well yeah, that's... His album. Yeah, and... and as far as the songwriting credits, I do believe that's true. I always assumed that at some point you might have been in a room as a song was being done. And but okay, so so then what was it well, like? Put it this put it this way: on on a few songs, me and Gene collaborated on, but never gave each other credit. For instance, Cold Gin, Gene wrote the breakdown section. Correct. But when I asked him if he wanted credit, he said, "No, you keep it." And I've I've came up with some stuff for Gene's songs that uh, I've never taken credit for, you know. And so what... we we've never sat down and wrote a full song from beginning to end up until last year. 
And so how was that experience for you? To, is that something you'd like to do more of on a next album or or potentially even? Absolutely. We, we, had, we had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, my, my home studio is very relaxed, has a relaxed environment. And, uh, you know, he came down, you know, we, we sat down with acoustic guitars and, you know, he asked me to play a few chords against his bass line. And, uh, and then he just had the titles and pretty much I wrote all the lyrics to the two songs and, uh, rearranged them slightly wrote a bridge, uh, extended a solo section, you know, like for, for the third song, your wish is my command. You know, that was my idea to start off with the acapella vocals with no music behind them. Yeah. That's the producer's job and that's what I do. So you experiment and, you know, the end result is, uh, hopefully good. Well, it turned out great. The album does sound great. Um, Thank you. you. You know, you did tour in Australia with Gene. You have sort of come back to North America with his band. Um, what was it about sort of Gene's solo band that impressed you that said, okay, I want to work with these guys. They, they really have something. Well, they're very unified and they're very focused and they're all wonderful musicians. But above and beyond that, each one of them can sing lead, which is not something my band can do at the present time. So uh, after, you know, doing four shows in Australia and eight shows in Japan, I came to the realization that, you know, these guys are more on top of it than than my old band. So, and they're cheaper, (laughs) you know, money's always an issue. And uh, I asked them if they'd be interested in working with me in the future and doing the Kiss Cruise with me. And then after the cruise, I have four or five shows in Florida. Actually, I'm shooting a television show tomorrow morning. Uh, Good morning today or something like that. And they're flying up from Nashville to back me up. Yes, they are. They're just really easy to work with. You know, the the guys that I've been working with, uh, some of them I've known for years. And, you know, sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. And I don't mean in a negative way, but, you know, sometimes, you know, they want raises, they want special treatment, you know. And, you know, these new guys are just like uh, pretty much fans of mine and are willing to do anything for half the price of what uh, my band is getting paid at this structure. So I decided to make the move. Yeah, and you know, I I think some fans need to realize that when you pay the band, that ends up being in ticket prices, and so sometimes you do have to keep a package cheaper for promoters, because otherwise promoters can't afford to bring you to town, and you can't have as many shows and as many tours, and so I'm all in favor of, of... you know, keeping keeping the business side of it in check. Um, over the years, Gene has said all kinds of stuff about you in the media. S- many of the things not very nice. How much do you think was just sort of PR bluster? How much was actually personal? And 
you know, now that you've toured with him and written songs with him, you know, how is the relationship? Is it purely business or are you back to being sort of one of the guys back in from the seventies? The only friend Gene Simmons has in the world. He doesn't have any friends. And he'll be the first one to say so. Right. You know, I was doing a vault experience with him at Capitol Records in Los Angeles uh, early on in this year. And uh, he actually said, I have no friends. And then the, the next day I wrote him an email. I go, well, I'm your friend. <laughs> that hurt me. <laughs> And, uh, but you know, me and Gene have a strange relationship, you know, in the early days with Kiss, I used to room, be his roommate, you know, for a couple of years and, you know, we've been through a lot together. He saved my life from drowning because he used to be a lifeguard, believe it or not. I believe it. <laughs> you believe it. And a teacher. I Let's can, not forget I can that. Attest to it. <laughs> Right. And, and, a, and a wonderful teacher. Um, you know, the, the last album that you tried to make was Kiss. Um, Psycho Circus didn't exactly pan out. It's got Tommy Thayer all over, Kevin Valentine all over it, Bruce Fairburn, Fairburn's fingerprints are all over it. Would you like to get back in a studio with Gene and Paul, whether it's with Eric Singer or Peter Chris, and do one last album together and say thank you to the fans and goodbye to the fans with it? Well, I think it would be a smart idea. You know, since Psycho Circus, uh, you know, I've been sober now 12 years and my productivity has like quadrupled and I'm more focused in the studio. Uh, my production skills have really improved as well and my writing skills. So it would be very anti advantageous for them to use me on a new Kiss record. And, uh, you know, the problem with uh, Psycho Circus was I was only offered one song, and but they, they said they weren't happy with the lyrics. So uh, I was afraid it was going to get cut. So Gene walked out of the studio and he said, you know, maybe you should, maybe the song's should be more about space, you know, and he mentioned Into the Void. And I grabbed that and I said, that's a great song title. And then I went up into the loft of the studio and I, I rewrote all the lyrics in about four, 45 minutes because we had already cut the track. And I just said, here, this is a completely new twist to the song because the original song was called Shake and Sharp Shooter and it was about a gunslinger. And they didn't think that was uh, in tune with the uh, theme of the record. So I said, just let me sing it. And I, you know, I went into the studio and sang the new lyrics and they loved it. There you go. Yeah, well, it turned, it turned out great. Into the Void is a great, tr uh, a great, great track. Um, we, you were talking about touring and especially with the new band. Uh, I'm in Canada. There, there seems to be no Ace Fraley Canadian dates. Is that something that's on the books? Do you see yourself making an effort to come up here, or are there promoters reaching out to you? Um, do you I haven't been offered any kind of tour that made any sense financially. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go up to Canada and lose money. 
So un- until that happens, I'm not going to be in Canada. I, you know, I love my Canadian fans and they're wonderful people. But, uh, you know, I can't go up there and lose money. No, so I agree with that. Until they up the ante, I'm not going to be there. I, I agree with that. And I know we're running out of time, so I'll just ask you uh, one or two last questions. You did. Bill's in here, so you can ask me three or four if you want. Oh, Bill's not there? Sweet. No, we can. Out the door. We can He's keep ordering sushi for me. <laughs> oh, good. We can keep going then. But you, you did do this thing for Keith LaRue out in uh, Indianapolis where you got on stage with the Fraley comic guys and played a few songs. Um, first of all, what was that like to, to be on stage? I, mean, I think you also did at the Chance in, in Poughkeepsie. But what was it like to be on stage with the Fraley comic guys, with Anton, with John, and play those songs again? Uh, so I'll let you answer that first, and I'll, I'll ask you a little more about Fraley. It was wonderful. Okay. The only problem with that show was that the monitor guy was a complete imbecile. I couldn't hear my guitar. So, you know, it would have sounded a lot better if I was able to hear my solos and and so on and so forth. But, you know, I made do with the best I could. A lot of times, I if you watch the tape, I walk over to my amps because I can't eat. Nothing's coming through the monitors. Right. But it was a lot of fun. It was great to play with Anton again. I hadn't played with him in years. And 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 I'm sure playing with John must have been great too. He he really knows how to hold down that bottom end. He's talented, son of he's a, a gun. He's, a, he's one of the most underrated bass players in the business. Yeah, he used to play bass for Peter Frampton. Yeah. Oh yeah, for thirty years. Yeah. And John Waite. I remember one day he brought me over to Peter Frampton's house. That was interesting. Well, but uh, he had a nice home studio and. Uh, then the, then then it was weird because I hadn't seen Peter in 20 years and I'm down in Nashville at the Gibson factory and Frampton shows up with his assistant because somebody had found his triple pickup Les Paul that had fallen off a plane when they were touring Mexico. I mean, it was just this long involved story. See, he was going there because they had obtained it and he was going to pick it up. So I said hi to him. But when I looked at him, he had no hair. That's great. <laughs> he had shaved his head. Or, I don't know. Was, yeah, P- P- Peter's great. Um, he's, used to, he's, he's used to, you know, he used to have wonderful hair. You know, you'd be surprised how many rock stars are wearing wigs today. Oh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. I, I know, I, I know. I, I've been backstage. I've, I've seen, a, I've seen he's a few. Because his face hasn't aged that much, so if he just threw on an old wig like his old hair, he'd look ten times better. Yeah, and, and I probably should too, since I've got no but, hair either. But, yeah. What's that? I probably you should. should yeah, I probably should too. I, I, I don't have a single. Piece strand of of hair on my poor little head. Um, but nobody has to be bald today. Yeah, you know, you got heckles for men, and then there's you know a lot of hairdressers that specialize. And you know, I I added a few extensions just to thicken up my hair. You know, because my wife gets extensions for her beautiful gold locks. You know, so there's no reason why not to have hair. True. You know. I agree. Now, just just quickly on this uh, solo album show that you're doing for um, for the New Jersey Kiss Convention, 
Um, is that something that is just really going to be a one-off or if it turns out well and you're playing, you know, what's on your mind and I'm in need of love again, you, you might think to yourself, hey, you know what, maybe I should bring this show, uh, the whole album tour to Chicago and to Boston and to Montreal or, or is this really a one-off and that's it? Well, at this point, it's a one-off, but, you know, promoters want to pay me a lot of money to to, to reproduce the first solo album, you know, in major markets. I'd be more than happy to do so. Uh, well, I hope I hope promoters are listening and do that, because I think I think for the fans, there's a, a, a great excitement. For, for you, though... All the fans are nuts. Is there an excitement the for you? Lifetime. What's that? I was going to say, is there an excitement for you to play that first album in full? Because I'm sure some yeah. of these songs... Okay. Well, there's several songs I've never performed live, so it's going to be a real treat for the fans, and it's going to be a treat for me as well. You know, this new band, they know all my songs. You know, and they can do four-part harmony. And uh, I'm not worried about doing it. I know that it'll be reproduced well. Oh, it's going to be great. And and that new band, I mean, listen, Gene Gene's solo tour was spectacular. Uh, you can't deny that those guys have talent, and they brought out songs from Gene, like Charisma and stuff that he hadn't ever done, and it sounded great. So this yeah. show, man, is going to sound uh, kick-ass. Um, well, you know, on, on the Kiss Cruise, I was talking about, you know, I had to, you know, inject some new material that I've never performed live. So, you know, we're all flying in a day before the cruise in Miami. And uh, we're going to be working on Dark Light and Save Your Love. Oh, that's three great. Three or four of them, you know, because the fans have been requesting those for years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. And and so, by the way, just... It's just... to be a real treat for the fans. Well, you see, I'm not even going to be on the cruise, but just hearing you say that you're going to do Dark Light and Save Your Love uh, got me real excited. That is that is that is great, great news. You know what? You know what happened with the cruise? It was doing okay, and the minute they announced I was going to be on it, it sold out like in a day or two. And everybody wants to get tickets for it, but you know. Okay, so so I then l- let's end on that. Then. I wish I could help you out. Yeah, I know. I wish I wish you too. But let, let, let me ask you just just real quick about that, because you're right. When you put Gene and Paul in an arena or whatever, it does OK. When we put Ace in a theater, it does OK. When we put Gene, Paul and Ace together, there is an undeniable magic that has been there for 45 years, going almost 50 years now. How do you explain it? What is it about you three and with Peter? Let's not forget Peter. What is it about you guys together that the fans just, it, it's another level? It's just, it's excitement. You know, it's hard to explain because we're all from four different backgrounds. And, you know, but I think it has to do with the chemistry and the fact that we're different, you know, opposites attract yin and yang. And, uh, you know, Gene grew up in Israel and then he immigrated to the States when he was about eight or nine. And uh, Paul's from Queens. Peter's from Brooklyn. I'm from the Bronx. So, you know, we were all not that far apart from each other growing up. But, you know, when, when we decided to form the band, you know, there was this collective thought and there was this uh, chemistry that 
was so oddball <laughs> and strange, it actually worked. And you actually balanced each other out, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I'm a, I'm a Taurus and I don't like confrontation. So whenever there were arguments in the band, I would like get in between the two guys and try to be the peacemaker. Well, you know, but that's that that's not happening anymore. And last I heard, Paul has his own dressing room. And I was really surprised to hear that because I thought that would never happen. You know, we used to make up right next to each other, like four girls in a beauty parlor. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, listen, hopefully that 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 magic and that that kind of situation will will happen again as a fan and a longtime fan. I would love to see you be part of the end of the road tour. Well, the fans have to speak out. Oh, I think, yeah, they do. And then, of course, the, you know, there is there is the business and the offer. The money has to be good. I'm sure you're not going to go do this for 50000 a year, uh, nor should you. So let's well, hope. the last tour is getting $50,000 a show. Right, well, we've got to bump now, that. Now it's going to now it's gonna be, have to be at least 100 Yeah, well, it should be. And I, and well, I hope you, you know, can. 10 shows a million dollars, I like it. That's a nice ring to it. It does. Especially on a three year tour. Um, Ace, of course, the new album is is Spaceman and uh it, it is sounding kick ass and I look forward to whatever you do, whether it's a solo tour in Canada or whether you come up with, with Kiss. I'm a big fan of, of you and Kiss. I thought the lineup with you with Eric Singer back in what was that, two thousand one or whatever it was, I thought that was spectacular. I would love to uh, see Eric that again. Such an, you know, Eric is one of the best rock drummers I've ever worked with. Yeah. And it was real apparent to me when I did the Kiss convention in Indianapolis because we did shock me together. And the, the stuff he was doing on the drums was like completely blowing my mind. Nothing like my Scott Coogan was doing on the road. He just like, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm thinking to myself, wow, I haven't heard drumming like that on shock me in, in years. Oh, and, and, and he's versatile because he, he can give you the sounds. Thank lead. Yeah. You know, he covers for Paul. Yeah. But you know, if we did a kiss reunion, I could sing four or five songs, which would give Paul a break, you know, cause his voice isn't what it used to be. What's happening? What am I, what am I doing? Uh, Okay. You want me to walk in? Come All right. In. All right, Ace. Thank you so much. All right, my friend. You have a great day. I'll I'll talk to you again soon. Cheers now. Bye-bye. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. And there you have it, folks. My interview with Ace Fraley, the one and only spaceman for me in KISS. Not saying I don't like Tommy or Bruce, but there is one spaceman and then there are guitarists. Uh, and speaking of guitarists, Alan, we are going to move over to a man that whether you like his politics or not, or whether you like his music or not, you at least have to give him the fact that he is a killer guitarist, right? I mean, we're, we are talking about Ted Nugent's new album is The Music Made Me Do It. Uh, fair assumption? I'm going to agree with you because Nuge is a spark plug. 
he really he's given off sparks all the time he's got this crazy manic energy about his personality and about the way he plays guitar um i do think that he might have reconsidered um letting derrick st holmes go i love stranglehold and i'm not sure that that was the best move he could have made in his career uh, but as a guitar player, he's fantastic. Um, as a political voice, I think it's kind of interesting. And I'll, I'll tell you what my point is here. Um, I was not thrilled when he was endorsing the likes of a Sarah Palin. And I think you can draw a straight line from Sarah Palin's lack of acumen to the present occupant of the White House. But here's my point. Um, I rather feel that musicians should kind of stay out of politics. And I don't take that point of view from, you know, the attitude of, oh, you know, people who are musicians or are from Hollywood don't know anything. I mean, we all have, whatever our occupation, the responsibility to be informed and vote. But when it comes to musicians and rock and rollers, I would like them to remember that the magic of what we do is bring people together of all stripes. And that's the power of rock and roll for me, that it brings people together by people's own consent, that people recognize what is the same about each other through rock and roll and through good music. So maybe sometimes think twice before you decide to go out and endorse a politician um, just make your points of view and your humanity known through your music. That is the strongest politics of all to me. Make it through the guitar, but so then how do you look back at some of the, the music from the 60s that had a, a cultural impact and flower power and, and, and the, whatever the Joan Baez's and, and the Donovan's and the peace and love stuff? Was that sort of not valid music or was that just freaking annoying and let's just get back to I want to hold your hand or well it was entirely valid because it was an awakening from the slumber of the 50s and it was very much in response to a war that shouldn't have been being prosecuted in Vietnam and I think there was a validity for people expressing that at that time but just to go out there every election and hammer, I'm not sure that, that that's valid. And, you know, Nugent's an interesting character. I mean, you know, he, he goes out there and kills little furry things and, and so on and so forth. But there's a little bit of integrity in that, in that where some would drive through McDonald's and not wish to see how the cow was killed, at least Ted eats what he kills. Um, there was one time we were at uh, uh, the A&M studios doing one of the earliest recordings of Unplugged and Damn Yankees was there and I'd taken along my son with me who was, oh, at the time, all of four years old, little, little blonde tyke. And we were sitting waiting for Don Henley, the um, perfectionist from hell, to get finished with his sound check, which was taking forever because he had brought in an orchestra for Unplugged. He, he was already cheating. Um, so we're sitting up there and sitting up there and, and Ted comes loping over to where I'm sitting with my 
my little son, Corey, and he bends over and gets not a foot away from his face and says, Hey, kid, do you hunt? And I looked at Ted and I said, Ted, he's four years old. Not too early to start. I'll send him some videos. And then lo and behold, within the week, this huge box of videos turned up in my office, all of them filmed by Ted going out there and slaughtering wildlife. Um, suffice to say, it didn't go under the Christmas tree. <laughs> that's, am that's amazing. So he, he sent you an entire an entire box of, was it like all the uh, uh, bow and arrow stuff, or was it a, a sort of a cornucopia of every different style of how to catch a squirrel? Well, I, I put one in and started to look, and I went, ah, I've seen enough. And there were so, so many in there. I think he killed with a screwdriver, a nail file. I think he killed with his bare hands and his teeth. Um, God knows, I think he used absolutely everything to kill something small and furry or big and furry. But, um, nah, Corey didn't hunt. Do you think that the whole hunting thing and the political thing overshadows Ted's music? I mean, because there is a lot of great music there, but I think a lot of people just don't want to listen or they just stay far away because of those political views. Well, I, I, I think you're right there. I think he may distance some potential fans but on the other hand i don't think ted is short of rabid fans and i, I actually saw ted years and years ago he used to come to montreal i saw him at the montreal forum the shows were great i mean they were wild and crazy he was swinging off a vine and shooting bow and arrows and you know, back in those days when we didn't have a lot of pyro and laser lights and, and you know, the most exciting thing was that four guys wore makeup, it it was an event. You know, you, you... Oh, he's, he's always been a master showman. And I would speculate that in this, this interview that there is an incredible energy to him when he's talking to you. And it's not a spacey interview. Oh, it's not space at all. And I have to say, you know, normally when I, when I, when I get on the phone with an artist, it's like, hey, how's it going, blah, 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 or is, we're for Westwood One, and I record it, and it's live to tape, and I explain how the interview's going to go. He got on the phone. His his assistant, Linda, put him on the phone, and he hit the ground running. He was like, blah, 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 the music made me do it. And I went, Ted, I, I said, I'm not even recording. And then he just kept going. I went, I went Ted. So I let him go, and, and it was like five or six minutes. And I'm like, this is great stuff. It's too bad I don't have it on tape. And I said, all right, now on three, two, one, we're gonna get this recorded. And we're, and 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 I, and I think he was disappointed. I think he was like, I just gave you my best answer to your, to your first not question. <laughs> you know, uh, so he hit the ground running, and uh, it, it was it was a train. Uh, you know, so uh, let's get over to Ted. We had about 35 40 minutes we ran a little bit over and at the end he's like listen i gotta go and i know he had he had a scheduled appointment and he had to get to so we wrap it up real quick at the end but holy mackerel if you want a runaway train and you want to hear a new album by the way the new album the music made me do it is actually good i mean the songs well, I, are good that doesn't surprise me but Ted's got that energy, and he's he's such a character. So let, let let's let's go hear him. It'll let's, be entertaining. 
Let's go hear him. And uh, as uh, track number three on the album, here is Ted Nugent, Cock Locked and Ready to Rock. We are speaking with Ted Nugent. The new album is The Music Made Me Do It. And uh, Ted, I have listened to a, a few of the tracks. Absolutely great stuff. We, have, of course, haven't spoken in four years since Shut Up and Jam. Uh, Did you miss me, Mitch? Did you miss the Uncle Ted rhythm and blues rock and roll essence of of, of effervescent spirit of the wild purity? Yes, and in fact, uh, <laughs> hopefully it won't be four more years until we do it again. Uh, well, come on, you need I I need to come up to Montreal and snuggle with you with the great food and the attitude and all that wonderful wildlife. Love my Quebecian blood brothers up there. Yeah, well, in fact, so let me start with that just real quick, even though this is for Westwood One and it does get broadcast into into the States. But let's start off with a little Canadian perspective. Um, I used to see you at the Montreal Forum all the time back in the 80s. Uh, the last time I saw you, I think, was in Saratoga Springs, New York, about 15 years ago. Talk Good to me about, uh, right? Talk to me about touring and coming up here because it appears to me, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that you've become sort of just an American touring act. Is that, is that a, a right perception? And, and what do we need to do to get you outside of those borders, up, up to La Belle Province here in Quebec and in Ontario and in Toronto and Vancouver? Mitch, I, I feel the love. I've always reciprocated. We have reciprocal love of killer music with killer songs. And you're absolutely correct. Actually, a tear begins to flow from my right eyeball because you've touched a nerve that I am saddened and angry that I don't get up to Canada more often. Now, as I shared with you a moment ago, I just returned from my annual Ontario bear hunt where I did the rug stake boogie and made sure that these precious wildlife resources, especially the mighty black bear, which is overpopulated in most of the Canadian provinces, um, that they retain their value for you know, all of us real conservationists and hands-on environmentalists up there. But I, I need to come to Canada for more than just the wonderful hunting and fishing and trapping that you provide. But the rock and roll memories I have, and, and you made a note that you said, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, that's why God sent me to planet Earth, to correct people who are wrong. But this time, you're not wrong. It's unforgivable that my killer ban doesn't perform more often in Canada. But you did strike a common sense, inescapable, logical point, and I think we can both agree on Westwood One, even though I like to call it Westward One, that the greatest philosopher of all times was Dirty Harry when he said, a good man has to know his limitations. And I wrapped up the greatest tour of my life in 2018 on August 5th in Phoenix, Arizona, where Greg Smith, the world's god of throttle bass guitar, and Jason Hartless, this young 23-year-old whippersnapper from the Motor City on Thunder Drums. My band is so good. The music is so tight and so energized, and the positive spirit and fun factor, and the, the grinding James Brown meets Little Richard, Bo Diddley, Chuck Berry grooves that we just, just power drive every night is out of body, and I actually apologize for not bringing it up to Canada the last few years. The last time we played Canada was Rama Rama Fa Fa Fa, something like that. Up in Casino Rama. That's right, Casino Rama 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 Fa Fa Fa, and and it was a 
musical guitar tone grind orgy of the greatest songs in music because before I became this killer guitar player, I just genuflected at the altar of killer guitar players. So back when Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry and Little Richard forced me to acknowledge the uninhibited authority of their soulful music and want to pursue it in my own translation and delivery, I was just a hopeless music fan before I became a guitar-playing music deliverer. And I apologize for not coming up to Canada, but a good man knows his limitations. And I'm 70. I'm 70 this year, 70 years old. How adorable can I possibly be? And I did my 6,717th concert this year. I've been counting going all the way back to school dances and sock hops in 1957 in Detroit. But I love my family. I love my swamp. I love my dogs. I love my bed, Mitch. I really, really, I I love my bed and my kitchen. I love my truck. And when I'm on the road, even though the music is consuming and it, it owns my soul, because that's because the music makes me do it. That's why I want to play. That's why what Greg and Jason and I deliver the ultimate every song, every gig, every night. But I can only do so much because I get so damn homesick. Now, my, my incredible Queen of the Forest wife, Shemaine, she joins me on the road as much as she could stand the travel. Because I play <clears throat> almost every night. I don't go out and do two or three gigs. I do six, seven, eight, ten, fifteen in a row because we're only on stage for an hour and a half, two hours every night. And the rest of the time I'm doing media and charity work with children's and military charities. So the energy level I get from very generous, loving celebrants of freedom and life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness is intoxicating. I can get on stage even at my old limping age and rock my flaming balls off every night. But at some point, Dirty Harry resonates, and a good man knows his limitations. And uh, as much as I'd love to come to Toronto and Montreal, I'd love to come to uh, all the Canadian cities. But at some point, <laughs> I, I think you just I named all the Canadian cities. <laughs> I miss my dog. <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know that I'm doing an interview with my dog at my feet right now. Um, so let me just quickly. I have my dogs. Happy Sadie and Coco are at my feet, and their their tongues are lollygagging on the carpet. Um, and probably because they can smell your dog over the phone. They, I love my dogs. I yep. live for my damn dogs. Yes, yeah, see, so do I. So, so let me ask you that because I, I just interviewed Alice Cooper and I just saw him in concert. Love Alice Cooper. Alice is great. He's he's of the same age. Uh, yep. He has no plans on retiring, but Paul Stanley and Kiss, they are. Elton John, et cetera, they are. Is that a conversation you're having with yourself that maybe it's time just to stay home with the dogs and, and, and not go out and do two hours a night? Are we contemplating sort of riding into the sunset at this point? That would be a negative. That would be as loud and proud and feeding back sonic bombast. No, Mitch. No, I, I again, Dirty Harry, great men know their limitations. I have got such a balanced life. My hunting outdoor conservation lifestyle is so soul-cleansing. When you harvest your own food and clothing and medicine and spirit and you balance the herds with a 
bow and arrow, and you're 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 so tuned in to the pulse of God's creation and the, the healing powers of nature that when you're done with all that beautiful stuff, you want to grab a guitar and scare people. I mean, between the silence of my my deer stand or my bear hunt, I mean, it really is the most battery charging, soulful spirit of the wild cleansing and healing from the, you know, the daily stress that we all put ourselves through to be productive Americans, productive Canadians, productive people, you know, taking care of and providing and safeguarding our family and being an asset to our neighborhood and our country and our fellow man and the good earth. When you're done with that responsible stuff, you want to get a guitar and play Wang Dang Sweet Poon Tang really loud. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when I'm done playing all these killer songs really loud and really intense every night, I really need to come home and shut up. I got to tell you, we could get into the the minutia of why Jimi Hendrix and Janis Joplin and Bob Scott and Keith Moon and all these great and 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 and, and all these great comedians are not with us anymore because they didn't have a tree stand. They didn't let nature heal them. They sought healing through poisons and chemicals and drugs and alcohol, and that is not healing. That is suicide. I was smart enough and lucky enough to be raised in a hunting family that I know my humble position in God's creation to harvest intelligently and conscientiously. And those quiet times in the deer woods with my family, especially Mitch, with terminally ill kids, I get invited into the lives of families with terminally ill children and some terminally ill old guys. But their last request in life, Mitch, is to go hunting with Ted Nugent. That's what they want to do before they die. How did I, how do I deserve that? But they have determined that I do. And that is so spiritual. And they do it because of the music, because of my politics, because I stand up for hunting and self-defense and self-evident truth and God-given rights. And those campfires with those families saying goodbye to their loved ones, yeah, well, I think you get the essence of what I'm trying to convey here. In fact, it is me... so powerful that I need to apply myself to those moving experiences so that when I get Greg and, and, and Jason back together and the world's greatest crew and hit the stage every night, that I am out of body. I am full. I am satisfied and gratified and complete. And that's why my music is gratifying, satisfying, and complete. Because my overall life and priorities are gratifying, satisfying, and complete. And that has to do with a lot more than just rock and roll. Right. And in fact, I do want to get on the new album, but since you mentioned hunting real quick, let me just ask you a question about this. Because here in Quebec, there is there's great hunting, great fishing. And I've always been of the mind that if you go hunt and you use the entire animal, you do something with the skin, you eat the meat, you provide, I'm fine with that. The trophy hunting has me a little more sort of like, mm, just to kill, to kill. What is your take on on trophy hunting as opposed to what I, w- I would call, you know, regular hunting? I think if it's it's for sustenance, have at it. If it's just shoot them and leave them rot on the side of the road, I'm a little more, mm, no. <laughs> Mitch, baby, yeah. I hope you're recording this because you want to play it back often. Okay. Trophy hunting is the ultimate discipline 
and test and sport on earth. And believe me when I tell you, you're talking to a guy who is celebrating a 70th hunting season with people from all around the world, including my friends in Quebec and all across Canada and Europe. They hunt with me every year for the last, geez, 50 years I've been hosting hunts. Trophy hunters never, ever waste anything on the animal. Yes, they wait for the oldest specimen, usually over the hill and beyond breeding, that will not make it through that winter. That's what trophy hunting is, a big, magnificent stag, which we all know why there's hieroglyphics on cave walls, because we all revere the beast that gives us food, shelter, clothing, medicine, tools, weapons, and spirit. Trophy hunting is the ultimate reference for that animal, because the skin, the bones... The internal organs, the hooves, and the precious sacred protein from that animal is always used by law that the trophy hunters and the meat hunters and the conservationists from all families who hunt fish and trap, we wrote that law that you don't dare waste a precious morsel of any animal that God provides you as a gift, and by dedicating yourself to be the best hunter you can be, you can properly and ethically and reverentially accept that gift. Are there punks and scum that kill animals and waste meat? Yes. But when we catch them, we prosecute them, and we throw the law book at them because that is the most sacrilegious punk-ass move you can possibly make to kill an animal and not use it. But trophy hunters wait for the biggest, oldest one, and most of the time don't kill anything because they're so hard to get. But they have to, by law and the spirit of our hunting ethics, we use every morsel. Trophy hunters don't cut off the head and leave the body there. That The media and the fake news punks have perpetrated, perpetuated, that lie is why the term fake news is so important today. Mitch, every kill, I killed a woodchuck the other day with my bow and arrow, the mystical flight of the arrow, that's a hard shot. And that's a trophy. I skinned it and I'm going to have it tanned and give it to one of my grandkids for Christmas. Every kill is a trophy. Every hunt is sport, meat, trophy, fun. You cannot hunt without the sense of a trophy accomplishment, incredible challenge sport, the precious life-giving sacred protein of the meat, and the joy and fun of all those pursuits and preparation and aim small, miss small discipline with your weapon of choice. See, I'm so glad you brought that up because that lie has gone unchallenged for so long that I'm glad I educated you and everyone listening that trophy hunting utilizes everything of the animal. Every speck of that magnificent creature is the trophy. And 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 I look at it from the, the perspective of the Inuit in Quebec. They they will hunt obviously and they make sure they use everything. And I can Sure, respect. that's the aboriginal that's yes. the aboriginal guiding force of modern hunters. My name is Ted Nugent. I'm seventy years old in twenty eighteen. I am an Aborigine. I am Cochise. I am Natty Bumpo. I am an Inuit. I revere the creatures 
that provide me life. And I hope that resonates with everyone listening. Because if you're anti-hunting, you're anti-Inuit. Shame on you. Yeah, you see, um, let me get it back to music here for a second, because that's why we're on the phone. Uh, The music made me do it. (laughs) That first video is fantastic. That first song... Well, thank you. It is. It's a great, great rock song. And, you know, I've seen a lot of bands, as they move on in their career, they start getting into the power ballads or the slower stuff, or they start doing symphony orca. Not Ted Nugent. You are plugged in. And ready to kick ass. So so l- let me look at this from different perspectives. You are Ted Nugent. You have been around Full for time. a long time. Full time. Not a damn Full thing time. you can do about it. <laughs> you put your name on a marquee and folks want to hear Stranglehole and Cat Scratch Fever and Great White Buffalo. Hell yeah. What compels you then at this point to say, I am going to lock myself in a studio and we are going to put 10 songs together. And not only are we going to put 10 songs together, we're going to kick your ass with these songs. Why not just say meh, let's just go out and do Stranglehold and, and Crack Scratch Fever, and, you know, fans are going to show up anyway. Why? What compels you to make new music at this point? Well, Brian, I'm glad you asked that question, because I have a funny feeling you are here at Westwood One with Uncle Ted doing an interview, because you, Mitch, can join me when I celebrate that the music made us do it. You love the music, don't you? It's you have songs every inch of your life's highway that means something, that resonate, that are the soundtrack of your experiences and your roller coaster ride in life and your adventures and your sexual moments and your heartbreak moments and your, your fun moments and your partying moments and your introspective moments. You have those songs because the music makes us do it. I guarantee that when Chuck Berry first discovered that cadence and that twang and that electricity coming off of Les Paul's new invention back in the 1940s, because he did it just a couple years before I was born, around 1945, and what Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry discovered, they didn't pursue it. They didn't sit down and go, hmm, I wonder what kind of music I can make here. Hmm, I wonder what kind of song I should write about. They could have said back then, well, why did you play that guitar like that? Well, the music made me do it. You get the Stones, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, the Who, the Kinks, Aerosmith, ZZ Top, Sammy Hagar, ACDC. You get the greatest bands in the world, and I guarantee you the music made them do it. I have never contemplated what I might play on the guitar. I just came in from doing my chores this morning with the dogs. Got happy Sadie and Coco all tired out. Checked our trap line and we're out there checking on all the different trails in the swamp and getting all mucky and muddy. And then I came in and I grabbed a Gibson Birdland through a big Fender amp and I snorted. Uninhibited, stream of conscious, out of body, cranking guitar licks that are so exciting it's stupid. We don't lock ourselves in the studio. I get with Greg and Jason, the greatest rhythm section in the world, and the my band will tell you, when I pick up the guitar and plug it in, as soon as that amp comes on, I bash a big chord, usually a giant A chord, and I start a groove and a pattern, and every time, Mitch, it's unbelievable. These killer licks 
erupt because I'm driven. First of all, I've been cleansed in my swamp run, so I have a complete clean palate, like the 12-year-old horny guitar player Ted Nugent in Detroit getting his first amplifier in a garage somewhere and just unleashing this stream of sonic bombast out-of-body stuff. And the same thing happens, Mitch, in 2018. Not to mention that when we get together and jam on these licks and they turn in the song, and that lick, oh yeah, the music made me do it, not a damn thing I can do. The guitar lick, what else would you sing to that? What else would you sing to the guitar lick that goes, I don't know where those lyrics come from. I don't know where the ideas come from. They just blow up because I love the music. And the reason I, I keep going is because every time I pick up the guitar, I am so turned on by these new licks. And Jason and Greg love them, and all my friends love them, so they turn into songs, and we go, we should probably record these damn things. So we go in the studio with Michael Lutz from Brownsville Station, the author of Smoking in the Boys' Room, and still got a lot of piss and vinegar and fire, and still doing James Brown and Wilson Pickett and Motown Funk Brother licks. We got this soulful musical black authority coursing through our veins, and it manifests itself in these grinding sons and daughters of honky-tonk and boogie-woogie, and you just can't stop them because the music made me do it. I can't stop this stuff, and God, do I love playing Stranglehold and Wang Dang and Gonzo and Fred Bear and Free For All and Doggy Dog. Are you kidding me? Killer songs, but these new songs are just as damn good. In fact, when you hear... Big, fun, dirty groove noise. That's one word, by the way. Big, fun, dirty groove noise off the new CD. You're going to go, who the hell does he think he is? The guys told me last year, this, this year, this summer on tour, they said, during a sound check, we were just jamming and a brand new song happened. Just, I wrote a brand new song at the sound check. It's called Just Leave Me Alone. But anyhow, it's a cranker. But they they kind of they're always laughing because I'm a funny son of a bitch. And the, I think it was Jason that says, "My God, if the 25 year old Ted Nugent showed up tonight, you'd kick his ass." I'm clean and sober for 70 years, Mitch. I eat pure wild venison for my sacred temple. It's rocket fuel for shit kickers everywhere. At 70, I could kick the 25-year-old Ted Nugent's ass because I'm cocked, locked, and ready to rock the Glock Doc, which is also a song in the new record, which you're going to love. So... The music makes me do it. I have no outside influences. Mr. Nugent's so sexy, it's stupid. My life is so intense and so much fun. My family is so wonderful. My dogs are so good at retrieving dead things that it manifests itself in this positive, energized music, and that's what we have on The Music Made Me Do It. Was that a good answer? It was a it was a great answer and and I love I love the <laughs> fact I didn't even think about it it just happens it just happens and, and by the way I I'll say this for for you and and for for Gene Simmons and and D Schneider who have don't drink don't do drugs and all. love those guys love those guys yeah you see I, I'm not seventy I'm fifty I have never smoked a, a marijuana I've never done a drug I I don't God drink bless you, bitch. and. I would like I would probably say that part of it is that I grew up listening to people that had that positive message of don't. Yeah. You know, people always say, well, why don't you smoke? Well, I always say, well, look, it's just not my gig. You know, skiing is not my gig, so I don't ski. Um, 
but I, I do think you had a, a, a small part in that, as did Gene and as did Dee, to get out there and say, hey, you know what? We can be cool and we can be rock stars and we can have these lives with all kinds of nuttiness and do it without having to freeze our brain every night. So so thank you for Hello. that, by the way. Thank you, Mitch, because comfortably numb does not make a party. Clean and sober and piss and vinegar spirit and attitude and positive energy and, and loving your life and loving your family and your neighbors and loving the music and loving the people that love the music. And do a lot of my fans get high? Of course they do. A lot of people get high. A lot of people like to get drunk and throw up, I guess. I don't understand any of that. But I know that some people are weaker than other people. And clean and sober provides the ultimate real party where no one gets hurt. What's that crazy? Kim Kim Simmons or Kim somebody from Canada go for soda? That, what a great Kim Mitchell. Song. Come on. Kim, Kim Mitchell, what a great song. What a great Fender bass guitar tone. What a great great concept that's my theme song and i didn't even know it until i heard it <laughs> yeah and, and 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 i'll talk to you in a bit about about just uh canada and legalization but but i want to get over here to the damn yankees you did two albums that came out bottom great stuff we love it but there was this third album which was supposed to be called bravo tommy shaw is replaced or moves out damon johnson who played with alice cooper and the black star riders and uh, and brother kane comes in um, were you part of that sort of mystical third album? And, and if so, what is sort of the true story as to why it just sort of vanished into the footnotes of history? Good grief, the fake news beast raises its toxic head once again. Uh-oh. Tommy Shaw has always been part of the ultimate damn. You cannot have a damn Yankees with Tommy Shaw, Michael Cardelloni, Jack Blades, and Uncle Dad. Okay. That is the damn Yankees. We also love other artists. We love the collaborative spirit of exchanging and sharing ideas and challenging each other. And certainly Damon Johnson is one of the greatest talents that ever lived. Agreed. Unbelievable guitar player, singer, songwriter, orchestrator. But there's so many. I mean, I'd love to make a record with Sammy Hager on Shut Up and Jam. Sammy sang a wonderful song with me. She's gone and there's so many artists i would love to jam with and i've had the greatest musicians on the planet in my band throughout my career and damn yankees is a perfect example of that what what a three-pronged monster musical force jack tommy and michael provided and i was honored and humbled and moved and motivated and inspired and driven every minute we got together and made these killer songs but the third album we just brought damon in as a, a an idea guy and to sing some harmonies with us and and kind of collaborate and you know we we go out and eat and we jam and we dick around a lot but tommy was a full-fledged part of there wouldn't be a damn yankees album without all four of us and what happened is we brought in a producer that I, whose name evades me right now, and I don't mean, mean to be rude to him because everybody has a right to their own, their own overview of a musical statement. But Tommy, Jack, and Michael and I, we already had a, a, a damn Yankee musical statement. We had established with two great records with just great songs and the tours and the music and the, the positive spirit and the Piss and vinegar factor from those guys was just a dream and always will be. But what the producer wanted to do was change us. And so we're always, you know, we're tolerant, open-minded individuals uh, to a point. And we 
facilitated and, and honored his recommendation for some changes, but it took the edge away. It took the, the fire out of what we believed in and the, the, the rawness of us getting together and Tommy coming up with this great lick and Jack pounding it and, and Michael coming up with these grooves and me putting the, you know, coming up with licks and foundations and frosting on the cake and, and napalm on your candle. And the producer... You know, we're interested in alternative views. Sometimes the interest will fog your view of that alternative view because you want to try different stuff, but it might not work. And the the pain in the ass that turned out with the Damn Yankees' third album is that it didn't work. When we're listening, getting close to the finish of the songs, um, we all looked at each other with, you know, we squinted with furrowed brows and we went, I don't think so. This isn't where we're headed. It's not a damn Yankee statement, so throw it in the trash. So, heartbreakingly, Mitch, we did throw it in the trash, and it, it exists somewhere, but we weren't proud of what we were doing as a statement by the four of us without any reservations, so we canned it. Now, the next question you will ask, because you are the greatest interviewer in the world, is, will there be more? <laughs> and I would like to think that we would never close the door, because I love everything Tommy and Jack and Michael do, and they're better at what they've always done right now than ever, as am I. So I would like to think that at some point, maybe I could tantalize them with a fresh moose barbecue and some machine gun ammo um, because there's nothing that makes killer rock and roll like fresh moose meat on the grill and brass rainbows. Maybe we'd get together and at least do one song that, Mitch, I promise you, it would be a motherfucker. It would be the ultimate musical fun. But it's a matter of getting the four crazy guys in the same room together, which is the biggest obstacle, but we're not giving up. Right. And, and, and I do know where the third album is. I spoke to Tommy Shaw. He has it locked away in his musical vault, and he said it will never <laughs> leave that room. So, you know. Maybe some TV show will do a documentary, and someone will, after we all die, someone will break in and expose it, and we'll all roll over in our graves. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a, a, an estate release, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I know we're running out of time. They said 11.45. It's 11.41. So I'm, uh, but Canada has legally or has recently legalized marijuana. Is that something that because they said they're going to use all the tax money to build roads and pay for schools and, you know, they're going to use. Is that something that you would want to see in the States or is Canada just absolutely crazy? Canada is absolutely crazy. I love my Canadian friends, but Trudeau is comfortably numb. And when you're comfortably numb, uh, you make stupid decisions. And I would just propose to you that after 70 years of an American dream of being the best that I can be enforced by disciplining parents that loved me to be the best that I can be, I have never seen one moment of positive outcome from someone getting high. Who do you want high? Your babysitter? How about your kid's school bus driver? How about your pilot? How about your dentist comfortably numb? How about the cops high? It, it's unbelievable that you could possibly witness the heartbreak and destroyed lives from people being comfortably numb and high and the loss of life and the loss of dignity and the tragic vapor trail of substance abuse 
and then actually pursue it. I'm all for medical marijuana. I'm all for medical anything, as long as it's really beneficial to people suffering from health issues. But to legalize recreational, comfortably numb, is a guaranteed script for ruined lives. The recreational drug legalization in Colorado has created a near 200% increase in highway fatalities and injuries and just all kinds of tragedy and heartbreak and ruined lives and destruction. I'm not for any of that. I'm for being the best that you can be, which can only be accomplished when you call upon all your gifts from God to maximize your awareness your conscientious behavior, and accountable conduct so that you can be an asset to your family, neighbors, fellow man, and the good earth instead of a comfortably numb liability. Now, people will squawk and piss and moan that I'm a nasty guy and I'm against freedom and against individual choice. Well, I'm all for freedom, but if that includes shitting in the water upstream from my pursuit of happiness, you're going to have to re-cloat, re- relocate your, your, your shitting procedures. You can't poop upstream from my American dream or my Canadian dream. You have to poop somewhere where it doesn't flow downstream to other people's lives. Yep. And in the use and the abuse of substances, I'm sorry, there are no winners. Period. I, I agree with that. And and before I was telling you that I saw Alice Cooper, I went, I drove from Montreal to Syracuse the other day, and at the border there was a big pot leaf, and it said no cannabis. And I was like, I'm at an American border, and they have a big. Po-. It, it it was sort of wacky to, <laughs> to see that. And uh, it's all wacky. It's all wacky, Mitch. And by the way, God bless you. As a young man yep. uh, in his middle age, um, this has been a wonderful conversation. It might be called an interview, but I I really, from the bottom of my venison, freedom-infested Michigan swampland heart and Texas resident heart, thank you for caring about my music. Thank you for caring about a new record from Ted Nugent, you know, 50 years later. And thank you for supporting the music that comes right out of my guts and my spirit and my soul. And everybody listening on Westwood One, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. On behalf of all musicians that put our heart and soul into making this soundtrack for choice of life and pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness, thank you for all these years of support and the energy and the attitude and the middle fingers and the fire and the laughter and the clenched fist and the dancing and all the nakedness. Thank you for just fueling my musical dreams because like everybody else, the music makes us do it, and it always will, and it always will be celebrated by real music lovers. So God bless real music lovers everywhere. Absolutely, and thank you. And and I guess we'll have to do a part two at some point, because I, I did want to ask about State of Shock. It does celebrate 40 Great years. Record. 40 Great years. Record. 40 years next year, right? Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. paralyzed. Do uh, you have like two Great, seconds? So we still play those songs. Absolutely. Well, Mitch, let's do this. Let's uh, confirm right here. Yep. Uncle Ted and Mitch, man, we're going to do this again because I love the music and we got to talk more about Jason Hartless and Greg Smith, the musicians behind the scenes out there. Incredible virtuosos everywhere you look. And I, I want to spotlight my band because I've been so blessed 
and inspired by having the great. You list the musicians that I've played with and collaborated with. Are you kidding me? Oh, They're incredible. all the top one percent that have ever lived. Lucky, lucky me. Absolutely, Ted. A great pleasure. The new album is called "The Music Made Me Do It," and if it's anything like the first single, it is going to be a real fucking barn burner. So, thank you, Ted. Great pleasure. It's a barn burner. God bless you. God bless you up there in Canada. And uh, live it up and rock and roll like you mean it, man. Merci. Thank you. Cheers. Live it up. Bye-bye now. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.